Welcome to the One in Five of Us Changing the Mental Health Landscape podcast. We are working to stop the stigma and start the conversation about mental health. One in five people will experience a mental health condition, but it takes on average eight to 10 years for someone to seek treatment. Hi, I'm Nancy Miller, the founder and executive director of One in Five, and I'm thrilled to host this podcast to help educate our community around mental health and wellness and to empower you to start the conversation. And I'm Kayla Wood, the social media specialist at One in Five. Together, we can stop the stigma and start the conversation. You belong here. We belong together. Today, we are talking with Zoe Stoller, who uses she, they pronouns and is a professional writer and digital marketer based in Philadelphia. She's passionate about sharing education and motivation about the LGBTQ plus and mental health communities, and her goal is to inspire others to be their fullest, most authentic selves. She's a recent summa cum laude graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, and in her spare time, she loves to read and write poetry. Zoe, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. We're so excited that you're here. Um, sorry, my puppy. Very cute. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so we do typically like to start by asking our guests um, about their own mental health journey. So can you um, give us a brief overview of your story? Yeah, definitely. So my mental health journey in terms of me understanding it and being able to name it really started in college, though I was definitely experiencing a lot of anxiety and depression before that. I just didn't really know. Um, But when I was in college, I was sexually assaulted and got very depressed, you know, as a result. And um, one of my friends highly encouraged me to see a therapist. And I kept saying, no, I'm fine. I don't want to go see a therapist. Like, I'm just going to get over this. It's just like a case of the blues or whatever. Um, But she kept like urging me to do it. And eventually I said yes, just to get you know her off my back. But it ended up being the greatest decision of my life, honestly, Um, because shortly after I started seeing my therapist, I started growing very suicidal. And I realized that this was not just, you know, a random case of the blues. It was not going to go away. It had been like several months and it was not going away. Um, And I really struggled for the next year with being very depressed and suicidal. Um, But it was because I met with my therapist each week and learned how to articulate what I was feeling and learned how to recognize and name all the experiences that I'd been through before all this even. Um, It gave me the eventual power and time to eventually, you know, come out of my depression and recover from that really, really dark period of my life. Um, And interestingly, as I did that, which was about a year after the initial uh, instance, um, I realized that I am part of the LGBTQ community. Um, I thought I was straight this entire time. Um, I've been with many men and it led to a lot of, you know, traumatic things that, that impacted my mental health very negatively. And so like life was just very bad, but I realized that I actually have attraction to women. And I would like to share that that's not something that I would have recognized or known about myself had I chosen to end my life like I wanted to. Um, there was this huge aspect of my identity that today is so, so important to me that I would have missed out on. Um, and so um, since then, I've also discovered that in addition to being a lesbian, I'm also gender fluid, which is under the non-binary umbrella. Um, and it's making these discoveries about myself has also really allowed me to kind of see the ways that not being my authentic self really impacted my mental health. Um, I also, in addition to depression and anxiety, struggled with an eating disorder. And I've realized um, since, you know, really understanding my identities and recovering from that, 
um, that's a lot of it was uh, based around my gender because there was a lot of ways that I was kind of forcing my body to exist in a, you know, typical woman way within, you know, what society deems as acceptable. And that included, you know, what I wore, how I ate, how I view myself. Um, and then so much of that led to, you know, body image issues and eating disorder issues because I um, was trying to, you know, force myself into this narrative that just so clearly didn't fit. And then I assumed that the issue was me, that I was, you know, the wrong person, not just that like society's narrative was wrong. Um, so it's been five years since that, you know, initial, um, you know, trauma that, uh, you know, got me into therapy and then led me to the path where I am now. Um, and it's, it's, you know, wild to think of how much has happened since I was really struggling and how much I would have, again, missed out on had I chosen to end my life when I did. Um, but now I am here and I love to openly share my story and my experiences because I know that I'm not the only person who is struggling or who has struggled or has been through any kind of trauma. Um, and it's really easy to think when you're deep in, you know, a mental health struggle that you are the only person. And I certainly felt very alone when I was struggling. Um, but I love to let people know that they're not alone and let people know that there is somebody here who, uh, you know, understands or at least can relate to what they're experiencing and maybe make them feel a little bit better by, you know, showing them that I, I experiencing, I experienced these things too and have come out the other side. So that is a rundown of my mental health story. <laughs> so when you like kind of uh, came to that discovery about yourself, um, how did your friends and family, like your support system react to that? Um, discovering my LGBT identities, you mean? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I'm very, yeah, I'm very lucky that my family and friends are very supportive of me. Um, and that's a real like fortunate thing that I have and a real privilege because so many people in the LGBTQ community and also the mental health community as well, they just don't have people that support them or believe them or, you know, want to help uplift them. Um, and so mm -hmm. I'm lucky that, you know, for the most part, everybody has been really, really accepting. Not everybody has been, I guess, not everybody was like educated in the same ways that I've had to educate myself about different LGBTQ experiences, specifically non-binary experiences, because really the only thing about gender that anybody is taught really is about the gender binary, uh, which mm -hmm. is man and woman. Um, so I've had to educate a lot of people and a lot of people have had confusions and questions, but I think that that's just them wanting to grow and learn more, which I think is really mm -hmm. great. And um, that actually kind of leads ex like almost exactly into our next question um so obviously like you are a very outspoken advocate for both the lgbtq plus community and also like lgbtq plus mental health um and you kind of talked about like what makes you want to do that work but like specifically that like educational aspect and like being there to answer people's questions like i looked through your tiktok a little bit and it looks like that's pretty much your whole TikTok is like answering people's questions. Um, what drives you to do that? Like what, what calls you to be that person who's answering all these other people's questions? That is a great question. Speaking of questions, um, <laughs> um, the, the biggest, I guess, motivator for me and um, the first time, you know, being kind of like an LGBTQ educator uh, seemed important to me, or I realized just you know, how powerful it can be, um, is actually when I was figuring out my gender, um, because I, I only, I only knew about the gender binary. I was not educated about any, you know, non-binary experiences. And so, um, I 
would experience sometimes being connected to womanhood, but sometimes not. And again, I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I was going crazy until I did some personal research and I found the language to describe what I was going through, which is, you know, non-binary, gender fluid, all these different words that I've found to articulate myself. But one of the um, biggest ways that I was able to get this information, one of the biggest avenues ended up being through social media, um, which was TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, that kind of thing. Um, I would watch a lot of videos and read a lot of stories and testimonials by um, trans and non-binary and other LGBTQ creators and being able to see my questioning and my experiences reflected in what they were saying just felt like the most beautiful sense of wholeness and like completeness. And I was able to, of course, find the, the language to articulate myself, which is one of the most important things a person should have, I think. Um, and so when I decided to become more public about my story, I kept thinking about these people who helped me understand myself, which is such a huge and powerful thing. And so I was realizing that that's what I want to do too. I want, I, there are other people who are asking these same questions and having these same worries and maybe they're not going to, you know, YouTube to find their answers, but maybe they're on Instagram and they still see my videos and they'll be able to be helped by that. That's the biggest like motivator for me. So what have you That's learned awesome. during that process? What has really stood out to you um, being in that medium and, and answering questions? Um, that's a great question as well. Um, uh, one of the things that's like really stood out to me, honestly, is um, just how much the uh, like the LGBTQ community wants to uplift and support each other. Because um, one of the unfortunate things that I've experienced with posting you know, LGBTQ themed videos online and writing about stories online is that people, um, you know, come in with very hateful comments and they're very, you know, like anti-LGBTQ. And um, I get I get a lot of hate and it takes a lot of time, like deleting that and like responding to that and trying to educate where I can. Uh, but in the times when I feel like very burnt out by that, I've seen people from my community and people who I don't even know, but I've just like connected with them on Instagram replying to comments for me and trying to educate for me. And it's just that, that makes me feel really great um, because it's, you know, this, this kind of work isn't like a one person job. You need the support of a community. And I've seen through my work, just how, you know, powerful and strong the LGBTQ community is and how much they really care about each other. So when you're, um, you're, I mean, it has to be really hard to be in the situation where people are being mean and hateful out there. What are you doing to take care of yourself when, when those kind of comments come in? Yes. Also a great question. These are all very great questions. (laughs) I, um, I actually had a session with my therapist, like semi dedicated to that, like a few weeks ago, um, right before my birthday, actually at the beginning of February, because, um, one of my videos in particular on TikTok was going viral actually, which was really cool. But at the same time, that of course brings in more hate. And I was just feeling really, really burnt out and really like down by the amount of of hate that there was. And I was Mm -hmm. talking with my therapist about it and we were kind of weighing the different options of like what is possible to do in these scenarios. Um, A lot of the time I just try to like delete the comments and, and move on or like educate where I can, but in the, in this event, there were just so many comments coming in. Like I would open up my app and see like 99 plus notifications every single time I opened it up, which was insane. Um, and so I decided, um, on my birthday, which was like the day after I saw my therapist to actually take a like little detox from TikTok and Instagram and and the other platforms, which I admittedly had not done since really (laughs) starting to talk more about my story, which is 
you know, coming up on a year now, like March, 2020 is really when I started this. And so this was the first actual break that I took. Um, and it felt really like necessary once I like kind of did it, like I realized just how much I was being dragged down mentally by, you know, the, the different hateful comments and just like the, the burden of, you know, feeling, feeling responsible to, to delete the hate and like not let, you know, young impressionable, impressionable people see these comments and think that these are like truths. Um, mm-hmm. but like, I've realized I, you know, I'm not, I'm not the only person responsible for that again. And like, it's okay if I take a step back because mm-hmm. my self-care and my mental health is the most important. Cause if, if I'm not doing well, then I can't put out content right. and I can't help other people. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, uh-huh. it's, it's yeah. so unfortunate that people like they, they feel so invisible and that they're just mean and hateful so many times out there. And it's just, you're just, I don't, it's hard to understand. Mm-hmm. I know the anonymity of the internet can be a weird thing because on the one hand you get really like bad people like that who use it to spread hate but then on the other hand one good thing about it is that people can um seek out information that they wouldn't you know feel comfortable asking in person um and that's been the case for a lot of people who like ask questions on my TikTok um some people have like actually specifically said that their parents um, monitor their Google searches and so the only way that they can find information is like through TikTok and social media and things like that um, so it is important to have anonymity, but people definitely abuse it for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have noticed, and I don't know if it's just because like 2020, like we were all pretty much online all the time anyway. Um, but I've noticed that like these conversations specifically about like the LGBTQ community and everything have really like migrated to like social media. Whereas like, um, like coming out used to be like a, a very big thing like and so okay so a little bit of backstory in high school I came out as like pansexual and people were like what is that and like everybody felt the need to like ask me questions and kind of like uh tokenize almost my identity um because I grew up in like a very white upper middle class area where nobody knew what that meant <laughs> Um, and with that, I felt like I was like the spokesperson in my school for like anything that had to do with like the LGBT community. And I was like, I'm just one person. Like I also have been dating a man for six years now. So I'm like, I, yeah. Um, but I've also noticed that like specifically in 2020, I'm seeing so many more like coming out stories. Um, I don't know if it's just like the people that I'm following or anything, but even like on TikTok, people are being like so much more open. Um, And I I don't know, have you like seen that trend go towards more like when people are talking about their identity, it's very like focused on like the internet? I don't know. That was a weird question. (laughs) No, I I totally get that. And I I think that things have been gradually shifting to the internet for a while now. For example, in both of my coming outs, comings out um, first as lesbian and then as gender fluid, it was all like online. Like I texted my family and then I posted a thing on Facebook and then, you know, now I text my family and I post a thing on Instagram because no one uses Facebook or whatever. But, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, um, but I, uh, yeah, so things were already kind of like internet focused. But then definitely in the past year since quarantine, I've seen a lot of people um, discovering themselves, I guess, and like taking the time to share about themselves or feeling, you know, inspired to share something that they've already known but have been quiet about. Like I've seen a lot of that. And I think 
I don't, you know, I don't know if this is actually it, but I think part of it is just the the mere time that we are having to spend kind of alone with ourselves or in like small groups of people and inside during quarantine. Um, it kind of gives us a chance to like reckon with ourselves almost and have to really like confront ourselves and figure out, you know, refigure out who we are um, because we don't have the outside world to kind of focus our energy on. Everything is kind of inward now. Um, so again, I don't know if that's the reason, but I definitely agree with you that there has been, you know, a surge of people coming out through the internet, which I think is a really cool thing. Um, and I also am very, you know, glad for the internet for that reason and for, um, you know, it, it providing people with just information because I feel like with the, you know, rise of social media and widespread information, um, you know, more people have been finding the language to figure themselves out or to, you know, articulate their experiences um, because, you know, like not everybody knows what pansexual means, but if some people like read the word, they might feel a, a connection to it and realize like, oh, what this word is saying, that's actually what I am experiencing. So that's who I am. But they might not have known that had they not known the word. Um, and that is what you need, you know, the internet for to spread that knowledge because it's not being taught in schools or really anywhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having like a more eloquent answer to my very unorganized <laughs> question. No, no, it was a great question. I, I totally got what you're saying. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> All um, right, let's let's shift a little bit here and let's talk a little bit about um, the intersection between um, LGBTQ plus and mental illness and mental health and how those two play together. Yeah, definitely. Um, so there's a misconception that like all LGBTQ people have mental health issues and that's, that's not true. Um, but a lot of people do struggle with mental health issues on top of their LGBTQ identities um, for several reasons. One can be because of, you know, unaccepting family members or um, friends or peers or just social circles. Um, it's really hard whether you're out or not to hear your your identities being like bashed and, you know, being told is sinful or whatever you're being told. That's a really damaging thing. And that leads to a lot of, you know, internalized homophobia, which then leads to, you know, some self-hatred if you're, you know, gay and all those things. Um, but uh, another reason that people who are part of the LGBTQ community also struggle, uh, which is the reason I think that I, I struggled partially, um, was with, you know, forcing yourself into kind of the expectations that society places on you. Um, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, you're, you're told, you know, kind of what path you have to follow, how you should behave, how you should dress. You're given people to kind of like idolize and like look up to and think of as their the ideal um, and when, in my case, and with many other people's cases, when that does not align with who you actually are, um, but you either repress it or suppress it, you know, either, I know those are different, but I always forget which is which, but um, <laughs> when, whatever you do, that can lead also to a lot of just internalized, just self-hatred and just, and just, you know, a, a challenge with yourself, um, you know, like an internal war almost. Um, and that, you should feel at like at one with your body and with your mind. That is kind of, you know, what leads to like a happy state, I feel. And if you're if you're having a very internal struggle um, that you maybe don't know how to articulate, then that also can lead to a lot of inner turmoil and mental health issues. Um, and unfortunately, as well, a lot of queer people struggle because um, of just the, the way that like systems in society are set up, like the healthcare systems, the police systems, the um, legal systems, it doesn't make it easy to be queer um, or trans or whatever identity you hold that is quote unquote, like not normal, according to society. Mm -hmm. The world is not like set up to accommodate. And so 
all of these barriers and whichever, you know, barriers each person kind of faces, um, they all can lead to mental health issues. Um, not everybody, of course, will experience that, but they all definitely can. Um, but luckily, queer people are also extraordinarily resilient. And it's through these challenges that we reaffirm ourselves and strengthen ourselves and come together as a community um, and keep being our authentic selves, even if, you know, other people try to shut it down. And that's one of the things that I love most about the community, just our resilience. Um, and something that kind of goes along with what you were saying is um, another organization we work with shared that trans individuals who are identified by their preferred pronouns, whether at home, um, at school, at work, or in their friend group, um, their risk for suicide goes down by 65%, which is so wild. Um, but it does show that a lot of that, like, mental illness entangled web that's woven does have to do with identity and the social structures that are at play around like what's normative um, and, you know, like all that stuff. Um, and so just by saying, I see you and I love how you are and who you are with just a simple pronoun, like that's so powerful. Um, and it is true prevention work. Um, and I think it kind of connects with what you were just saying. I know people don't realize how much power a word holds, you know, whether it's negative power or positive, but it, it really does. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and can you talk a little bit more about like that resiliency um, and maybe some things that you do to like build um, some resiliency for yourself and like what other people um, maybe in the LGBTQ community can do to build their own resiliency like toolbox? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so yeah, so as I said, the LGBTQ community is is highly resilient, um, probably just likely to, because of the need for us to constantly be, I guess, like affirming ourselves in the world and, and sticking up for who we are and, you know, not letting all those other systemic things crush us, um, but still like existing as happy people, which is so possible. I'm a very happy LGBTQ person who also struggles with mental health, but overall I'm happy. Um, but it's, as you said, important to kind of like build up that resiliency. It's not just something that you automatically are. Um, and part of it for me um, comes from having struggled so deeply several years ago. Because uh, I always tell myself when I'm, you know, struggling now, because we always struggle at some point, you know, it's not perfect life. But I always tell myself that, you know, I got through what is, you know, the most challenging thing I've ever gotten through so far. There could be more challenging things coming my way. But like, if I can get through that, I've proven to myself that I can. And so I can get through this too. I can get through anything. Um, I often tell that to myself and kind of, you know, just reaffirm that within, within my brain. Um, Cause it's, it's very easy to forget. Um, but I, I think that kind of like looking to history is a really great way to build your resilience um, and to prove that just all the things that you've overcome so far. Um, but another way that I think the LGBTQ community kind of shows its resiliency and builds that up within each other um, is coming back to community. That's really such an important part of, of being LGBTQ. People somewhat often call it the LGBTQ community. That's, you know, it's part of the phrase. Um, because I've seen so many people share, you know, their stories online of, of, you know, whether they're struggling or whether they figure something out about themselves, you know, things that are not just like the happy, positive narrative that people so often like want to see on social media. Um, and when that happens, when people kind of share authentically what they're going through, I see so many comments, like beautiful comments of support and love and people sharing, you know, that post to their story and saying like, read this caption, this like so touched me. Um, and it just, 
I, I felt that happen to me and I try to do that to other people as much as I can. Cause it, it just, it's such a beautiful way to build people up when they've become vulnerable and are shared their struggles with you. Um, you know, and, and we, as a community in theory, all know what it feels like to struggle. And that means that we can all relate to each other and try to help each other because, you know, in theory, none of us should ever feel what it feels like to struggle. Of course we're going to, but, um, you know, we don't, we don't want that for each other. And we know just how at risk our community is of struggling as we talked about. Um, so it's, it's just essentially important for us to really band together in that way. Have you seen um, with the, with the strength of the community, have you seen the conversation go in a more positive direction that people are becoming more accepting and that they're, that there's more openness? Yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely seen that. I've seen a lot of people um, really tr- at least trying to kind of understand the community more. Um, I get a lot of DMs from people who are um, saying, you know, that their you know, nephew just came out as trans or something and like they are have a question about this and then they ask me the question and I'm able to, you know, provide an answer for them. And of course, like not every person wants to, you know, be that token LGBTQ person, as you were saying, Kayla, but I want, I want to be, so I made myself. <laughs> but um, it, yeah, yeah. Um, it, I like, it, it feels really nice to be able to, you know, educate people in a way that I've had to educate myself and in a way that I was educated by other creators um, because people really are trying to be, you know, better better allies, um, you know, whether they know somebody in the community or not, people really are trying. And I really admire that. And I, again, thank the internet for the ability to spread this information because you can't try to be an ally if you don't even, you know, understand the community. So that's, I'm trying to provide that understanding so that people can then, you know, be, be better allies and whatever that means. Right. That's awesome. Okay. Yeah. And, and it is like, I know I've heard like countless times how it's like, nobody wants to be that token person that people believe that they have all the answers because I mean, nobody has all the answers, especially for like any, any demographic. Like you can look at people who I don't know are Catholic and you can't just talk to one Catholic person and be like, what is Catholicism like? Like, what is the experience of every Catholic person in the world? Just like you can't look at like a black person and just be like, what is the experience of every black person in the world? And it's it's the same for same for um, the LGBT community. You can't just look at one person who identifies as queer and be like, what is the whole community like? Um, but I do think that it is like super important and super awesome um to have somebody who is willing to be that resource and um i think that's that's so great that you spend so much time and effort and uh in educating other people um because i know like even i get a ton of questions my little brother is trans um and he uh came out in junior high and so people every single time they like hear that or learn that information they want to ask me like a million questions about him. And I'm like, that's not necessarily my place. And it's also not necessarily your place. Like there are so many ways to find this information. So very long-winded way of saying like, what are some other ways that people who want to learn about the LGBT community um, can do so without tokenizing one person? 
That's great. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's super important to, to be able to have kind of all those different resources that you can go out and educate yourself. And then if you have, you know, more specific questions or if there are answers that you can't find, then it's great to kind of come to a person, but it, educating yourself and putting the onus on yourself, that's really, really important. Um, I think sometimes a, a simple Google search can work wonders. Um, and it's not always going to lead you to like the right answer. And what I've found with you know, my own frantic Googling when I was trying to figure out my gender is that, um, you know, you kind of get like bits and pieces of answers and you have to piece them all together into one thing. So it's not the greatest, but um, even a better like search engine, quote unquote, is Reddit. Um, I've found a lot of great information through Reddit and just a lot of great community as well. And um, like memes and other like relatable things that also teach you something. Um, So it's not just like hardcore research because sometimes you get that too from Googling. Um, and that's just so dense and not helpful. Um, but I think um, kind of like looking to those resources uh, and like kind of typing your questions into there and seeing what pops up, knowing you might have to kind of put some answers together um, because that's just kind of the state of, you know, the education that's provided about the LGBTQ community. Um, but if you're willing to do a little work, you can definitely get all the answers. And in the meantime, I'm trying to compile my own LGBTQ Google, as I call it. I've made a guide on Instagram called that because I was definitely wishing that there was like a dedicated LGBTQ Google where you could just type in your answer and get like, or type in your question and get a, like a straightforward answer, like anything else. But of course that does not exist. Um, But Mm -hmm. I'm trying to make it. Yeah. And um, we'll also, for those of you listening, we will um, link to Zoe's uh, social media in our show notes. Um, so Zoe has a TikTok account um, that is super educational. Um, but the content that you share is like incredible. Um, and that is a great resource for anybody who has like very general questions um, or even very specific questions. You just might have to like scroll a little. <laughs> um, and then um, her Instagram has a lot of info in her link tree um, or the link in um and yeah so we will put that in our show notes um for anybody wondering so is there anything that we that we didn't talk about that you that you'd like to talk about um i don't think so off the top of my head you guys had great questions so (laughs) (laughs) well zoe thank you for being with us today we love talking to you um you've been very educational and um we, uh, we hope that this is great information for our audience out there, and we encourage everybody to educate themselves and to uh, really work on their openness and in this area and to really educate themselves. Yeah. Thank you so much for being like so open and honest with us. Uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this. I can't wait to hear it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about this episode, you can check out our show notes and access additional information on our website at 1n5.org. We ask that you please subscribe, rate, write a review, or share this podcast with anyone you think may be interested in hearing more about how we are changing the mental health landscape. Again, I'm Nancy. And I'm Kayla. And we hope you'll join us next time. You believe.